where the Lord wants us tonight, and uh, pray for me. My voice is um, in despair, um, but we'll make it tonight, Lord willing. We'll go to the book of Revelation again, Revelation chapter number 3. We've turned another chapter and have found ourselves in chapter number 3. Similar to chapter number 2, it's still speaking of churches. And uh, But after this chapter, it will no longer be speaking of churches. And so this puts us in the church ages. We understand that. And that's kind of the, the backdrop and the outline of what we're looking at here. And uh, so we know that we're in the church age. And um, that's kind of how the book of Revelation goes about. There's the things which were. There's the things which are. There are the things which will be. And so... We understand in the things that were in John chapter number, I mean Revelation chapter number one, and then things which are, um, the things which are, as John said, as Jesus told him, um, the things which are, that is the present time, that is the time of the church age, and that's um, anywhere from, you know, the book of Acts all the way on into where we're presently standing until later on, and then there will be obviously the things which will be. And that is going to be starting in Revelation chapter number 4 as the church is called out. And uh, I know that's not exactly how it portrays itself. But John goes from being in the spirit, um, writing down the revelation of God, um, appearing on Patmos, telling us that's where he was. And then he appears in heaven. Is that what he says in John? In, I mean, Revelation 4? He says, after this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and a voice which I heard with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show you the things which must be hereafter. So we know that that is the rapture of the church, and that's what takes place. And so people want to say the rapture of the church is after. Um, there's a talk, telltale sign right there that Jesus said. There's three things that'll be. There'll be things which were, there's things which are, and things which will be hereafter. And that's the hereafter. And so, just a small tidbit tonight, we look back into our series. We went through four churches this far, and we'll start with a fifth one tonight. I've learned and told and been told stuff uh, about this church, you know. This is the church uh, according to the number five, and you know, you can look at number five, and number five's uh, grace, and, and that sort of stuff, but I don't know if that's always the case. Principle and that sort of stuff, um, but when it comes to uh, the scriptures, the scripture is not always going to be exactly what we know as hermeneutical. Okay, um, but it is scriptural, and all things are right according to the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and He has all things in order uh, from Genesis to the Book of Revelation. Um, and so we've seen the Church of Ephesus, and that was the church um, that wasn't what they were. And then we seen the church, um, secondly, of Smyrna there. And that was the church that stayed the same. Hallelujah. And then there was the church of Pergamos. And that church of Pergamos there, that was the church that couldn't stay committed. And then there was the church of Thyatira, which we seen last week. And that was the church that had charity but compromised. Tonight, Lord willing, we'll jump into the uh, the church of Sardis, chapter number 3. Let's... um. Let's reverence the word of God tonight, and uh, let's read six verses if we could. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter three of the book of Revelation, the Bible says, And under the angel of the church in Sardis write, um, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, 
and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. You've got to read this one slow. I just want to let you know. You'll miss it. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which hath not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in the white, in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you for standing. Lord, we love you. We ask you, God, to please help us tonight. We'll praise you for it all, and we'll thank you. Give us the words to say. Lord, I pray, God, we worship you in spirit and in truth in all things. We'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we'll be looking at the church of Sardis. Sardis is only mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's the only time it's mentioned in Revelation chapter number 1, and, of course, Revelation chapter number 3 here a few times. And so Sardis is only mentioned there, but from what you will find, this church was not in very good shape. But Jesus did not come into them in a realm of commending, but he came into them in a realm of counseling. He did not come to them to tell them what they have done right, but to tell them how they need to get right. I mean, as simple as that. And so it had to be, if you look at this, it had begun to to be more like the city in which they inhabited, the, 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 the church began to be more like the city, the world, and that is not a good way to be. And for what I read, here's a little bit of background concerning the church or, or Sardis as a whole in a city. Sardis was the capital city of Lydia. We understand Lydia, um, we understand everything along, along those lines, but it was the capital city of Lydia, and it started around 1000 B.C., and, uh, or it was founded around that time. Uh, and it sat on top of a mountain with a very uh, clear path, but it was only a one-way-in and one-way-out type of path. So practically, uh, it was on a cliff face, typically a safe place to be. It was not a place of much battle. It was not a place of much fight. Or persecution in that place, but however, it was a fairly, um, it was uh, very diverse. There was a lot of different ways that went in the city. There was a lot of different things that went on in the city, uh, such as the wool industry of that place and a few other things that you can find there. They say that it was a very wealthy city. They say that gold and silver coins were first mined in the city of Sardis. It's just history. They say that it was first mined and its wealth was made under King Croesus. 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 Something along those lines. You look it up. But it grew in reputation, but it's lost, it lost its spirituality. 
And Jesus addresses that and Jesus comes about them telling them exactly that. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Anybody ever heard of him? Alexander the Great actually reigned in Sardis. He was actually uh, one of the reigning kings in the town of Sardis, in the city of Sardis there, uh, according to history. But it lost its wealth. It gained its wealth through the reigning of him, uh, of, of Crephas. But it lost its wealth as well as it was preserved in, in, in the, when Alexander the Great was there for a while. Uh, but have you ever heard of Antiochus the Great? Now Antiochus the Great, there was a lot of the Antiochs, uh, and the Antioch, Antiochus the Great actually invaded the city of Sardis and stole everything they had. And so there was a lot that went on there, and Matthew chapter 25 and stuff can say more. Uh, there was a lot of things that were um, done under the reign of Alexander the Great and, and Antiochus the Great. There was a lot of things that were done uh, under them uh, that fulfilled scripture actually um, there was a lot of things that were done in those times but they swept them clean when they come in and so they became more and more empty uh, compared to what they once were they say they didn't lose their wealth in complete they still had industries in the land uh, but they lost what they were they were not who they used to be they were lazy because of the stuff that was stolen they were lazy they were wicked they were moral and there were people who ruled uh, this place were all the three. They were very immoral and the very lazy in that way. It practically became a dead city. A dead city. And I couldn't tell you exactly where the land of Sardis is today. But from what I've read, it's approximately 35 miles southwest of, of what we know of Ephesus and that sort of that sort of a realm. So so when we look at that, uh it, and, and, and thinking it practically became a dead city that seemingly this church had much right at one time when they were doing good and things were going good with the church, but when everything else died, the church died too. That's sad. They became lazy. They became full of apathy. And they became complacent upon the things of God. And so Jesus writes them a letter. And he doesn't commend them, but more or less he chooses to counsel them in the realm of what they need to get back to. And uh, this church is dying off, and Jesus gives them a word of counsel. And so notice with me tonight, I'm going to preach on this thought. Smyrna, Sardis, excuse me, Sardis, socially driven, but spiritually dead. Socially driven, but spiritually dead. Notice three points we'll get through. The Bible says uh, in verse number 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he, That hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that, liveth, that thou livest and art dead. So there's two, there's, there's, a, there's what we would call a paradox. They're living, but they're dead. So they're spiritually, they're, they're socially driven, but they're spiritually dead. Speaks my title right there in one. And so the appearance of Christ comes upon the scene here. Uh, and as Christ is coming upon the scene, he appears, uh, number one, as the all-powerful one. Uh, he, he comes upon the scene as the all-powerful one. And he says, uh, um, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits uh, of God and the seven stars. Uh, 
I know thy works. And so Jesus comes to this church uh, as one who holds the seven spirits of God uh, and as one who holds uh, the seven stars in his hands. Uh, And we understand the seven spirits of God. uh, And I've already told you this, but the seven spirits of God are referring to the Holy Ghost in his complete ministry. Uh, um, And we can find that in the book of Isaiah in chapter number 11 and verse 2 where it tells us the seven ministries of the Holy Ghost and how they're all wrapped together in one and the seven fold uh, perfection uh, ministry. Uh, and so uh, in his hand he is all of the Holy Spirit uh, all of the Holy Spirit as he's there all things that that Holy Spirit can do uh, he's holding them in his hand uh, meaning he's powerful uh, and this tells the churches that we are to operate not under the power of a human level or human skill uh, or human leadership or human operation uh, or organization but rather uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the church walks in the power of the flesh, you're going to surely fall. You're going to fail. But when we walk in the power, power of the Spirit of God, uh, um, there will be great success uh, that comes from that. Uh, and there will be great glory. There will be great power uh, and life instead of deadness uh, uh, and ineffectiveness. It, it will absolutely happen if we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. He has seven stars. He has seven spirits of God in His hand. He has seven stars. Now we understand that the seven stars are the pastors of the churches. Revelation 1, verse number 20, that's what they are. They're the messengers who bring the people the word of God in those churches. We cannot say exactly who they are. Um, But Jesus appears to them as one uh, who uh, has everything that the church needs to succeed. Uh, He has everything in their hand. A church needs a pastor or they're just not going to succeed. And so they need that. No, His Word, uh, His Spirit has all uh, of the things that the church needs. uh, And His Word has all the direction that the church needs. uh, And He's given them uh, this admonition. And I tell you, friends, uh, um, that is still true today. Men uh, are trying every way under the sun to reach sinners uh, and to do the work of the church. uh, But all we need uh, is all of Him. That's what we need this evening. And I tell you, what we need uh, is not a new way, uh, um, but we need a new desire to seek His will uh, and to seek His way. Uh, And as the Lord appears to them, He says, I have everything you need in my hands. I have the seven spirits and I have the seven stars. And I'm telling you, if we'll go that way, the Lord comes as the all-powerful one. And by the way, He's still the all-powerful one. Amen. He pierces that and he pierces the all-knowing one. Now the Bible says a little farther on, the Bible says, I know thy works. I know thy works. He comes to them as one who sees all and knows all. Ain't that God? I mean, notice that he does not commend their works. Also notice that he does not condemn their works either. He doesn't commend them and he doesn't condemn them. Means what? Well, he merely just tells them that he knows everything they're doing. He knows everything about them and he knows uh, their works and what they're going to do. And, uh, and can I just say here tonight that you'll never keep a secret from the Lord. He knows everything we're doing too. He sees it all. He might come in. He might condemn. He might counsel. There ain't no telling what he'll do, but 
He sees what we're doing, but also he sees why we're doing it. What are our motives? Are we doing it because we love the Lord, or are we doing it just because we want to do it? Because we've been raised to do it. Because we just think it's right. Everybody with me? What way are we doing it? So that's what he's doing to them. And he comes as the all-knowing and all-powerful one. But then he comes also as the all-seeing one. He says, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Apparently their works gave them the appearance of life. Wouldn't you think so? There's a contradiction here seemingly. It's not a contradiction according to Scripture. It's not. There are, there are no contradictions in the King James Bible. But he comes to them and it seems that they, he says, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. They have a name that they're living. Their reputation says they're alive. But they're dead. They're dead. Uh, Jesus tells them that, hey, you have a reputation. Uh, um, they were busy. They were working church. Uh, they had a great reputation among men. Uh, and maybe if somebody come through town, uh, they would say, go to that church. That's a good church down the road. Uh, and there's a good pastor down there. Uh, but from all outward experience, appearances, this church uh, had everything it needed to be. But they believed the right way. They were doing well and seemingly it had every appearance in this world that there's life. But things were not as they seemed to be. When the Lord looked on this church, he announced them to be nothing but dead. Right? No matter what others thought, Jesus knew the truth. He tells them that even though they have a reputation to others, uh, um, that they are a living church and a lively church, they're dead. I don't know about you, but that was rough. Socially driven, but spiritually dead. Can I just tell you, looks are deceiving. Everything that looks good ain't good. Everything that looks like a church ain't church. Like one preacher said, you can put a Corvette sign on a Pinto, but it ain't going to make it a Corvette. All I'm telling you tonight is that flowers plucked look good. They look real good. They smell good. They smell alive. Isn't that right? But if they have no roof, they have root, they have no life. Is that all right? Don't matter how much water you put them in, they'll eventually die. And that's how we can look at things. I'm telling you, they are dead. And one, our world today, friend, is full of fakes. It's full of phonies. It's full of all those people out there. And if Jesus checked your heartbeat, what would he announce? Because he checked the heartbeat of these people. And he said, they ain't breathing. They dead. What about our church? Now here are some here's some of the signs of a church that's dying, okay? Some of the signs that a church that's dying, a church that's dying, uh, a dying church clings to past defeats and is satisfied with them. Can I just tell you that things you've done in the past ain't going to get you tomorrow? I think we said that this morning. Past feats ain't going to get us tomorrow. A dying church, that's a, that's a good sign of them. 
clinging to those past feeds. Well, we used to give thousands of dollars to this person, and we used to do this, and we used to do That's never going to get it right. A dying church is that. A dying church is more caring about social standing than they are spiritual standing. That's a dying church. A dying church cares more about material than they do about the spiritual. Amen. Money, money, money. They care about the money, but they don't care about the spiritual health of the church. Can I just tell you, a church that ain't giving and a church that's just gaining ain't going to go far. You know what that church is? Already dead. Somebody say amen right there. It's already dead. Church is already dead. A dying church has a preacher who cares more about pleasing the people than pleasing the God of the people. That's a dying church. There are more, many more signs I could tell you, but it, it, it's more... I tell you, it's more important to please man, please God, than it is to please man. Amen. Matter of fact, you'll never please both at the same time. Amen. Think of this. A dead man is lifeless. A dead man won't work. A dead man won't praise. A dead man won't give. So you tell me when you see people unwilling to do those things, when you see a person sitting on the pew and they're unwilling to praise... They're unwilling to give. They're unwilling to work. They're unwilling to do anything for the Lord. They're unwilling to do anything along those lines. Now, what would God put their heartbeat at? Flatline, son. Flatline. I'm just telling you the truth. How do we line up tonight? Are we lively? Are we dead? I do not believe in any way, shape, or form this church is dead. I do not believe that in any way, shape, or form. But I tell you the truth. I can always do more. We can always do more. Amen. The appearance of Christ, he appeared as the all-powerful one. He appeared as the all-seeing one. And he appeared as the all-knowing um, one. Uh, and then, secondly, I want you to notice the announcements of Christ. Now he says, uh, we'll read them as we go. He goes through and he tells them the church in Sardis is in sh- sad shape and we understand that. But the fact is, not all are lost. Not all are lost. And the Lord tells us that there's still hope for them to make some changes and get back to where they need to be. And notice, notice the announcement that the Lord, the announcements that the Lord, Lord makes to them. He says, "Be watchful." So He commands them to be watchful. He commands them to be watchful. They are told to be watchful. That word means be vigilant. It means to keep one eye open. Somebody said it means to chase sleep. So it means to keep one eye open. And this church is a church with a great past. They have allowed their past success uh, to put them into a state of slumber, uh, a state of sleep, and a state of complacency. Uh, And I tell you, friend, his command to them uh, is for them to wake up and to realize that the victories of yesterday are not enough for today. Amen. And, And this happens too far often with churches. It happens so often with churches today. A church will struggle in its beginning. uh, And the core group of believers who found in the church, uh, who came with the church and the family uh, that came with the church will have to work. They'll have to pray. uh, They'll have to witness. They'll have to give. uh, They'll have to yield to God and see the church stay alive. uh, And over time, many more come in. uh, And then people come in. uh, And more money comes in. uh, And great things are happening. Yet in the very midst of all the good things, Uh, and something terrible happens 
the church begins to lose the vision uh, um, that, they, that made them so strong to begin with. The same ones who fought to keep the church alive uh, is the same ones uh, who turn uh, when it starts growing. They become content to sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labors. And while we ought to be thankful for what the Lord has done for us in every way, shape, and form, we'll never reach a place where we can let up. You'll never reach the place where you need to stop fighting. You get to heaven, then you'll stop. But there's no time to look back to yesterday, friend. I'm telling you, we must press on for, the, for, for ahead. Paul said, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. Our vision ought to be for today, it ought to be for tomorrow, and it ought to be for the next day. I know the Bible says, think not yourself upon tomorrow, but tomorrow thinketh on itself. I understand that. But I'm telling you, we must think of what's going to take place. 2023 is going to be a good year for Mountain Valley Baptist Church, if God so wills it to be. It's going to be a good year. We're going to do more things. We're going to help more missionaries. We're going to help more people. And we're going to do more things for the Lord, because that's what a church is for. Amen. We're going to beautify the church as best we can. We're going to do some things and get them, some more things established in 2023 that we didn't do in 2022. Because why? It's high time to do things. As long as God gets glory for it all, it's high time to do things. And friend, there's no time to look back. We, we must raise up a generation after us to do the same. If they ain't seen us do it, how do you think they're going to do it? Amen. We'll never succeed by sitting, friend. Don't get complacent. Don't get complacent. He commands them uh, to be watchful. Then he goes on and he says, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He commands them to be working. Now the Lord gives this church four activities. Excuse me. That they are supposed to be busily engaged in. Four activities, the things that they need to be doing uh, at this point. And these things will help any church that's been caught sleeping on Jesus. Now you catch me, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed up just a little bit. And so I want you to notice tonight that there's four things that are going to take place here. Number one, he said strengthen the things that, which remain. That is telling us we need revival. Somebody say amen. We need revival. You need revival. This church needs revival. America needs revival. I need revival. Revival. And we're to do that. He tells them that not everything about them is dead. But notice what he says. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. See what's taking place there? There's things that are ready to die. These things are to be revived before they do die out. This is a call for them to get stirred up again for the things of God. It is a call to revival. They're singing, they're praying, they're preaching, they're giving, but they're not. They must be revived. Can I just tell you tonight, we got some that need to be revived. Revived. And, and, and I'm telling you the truth is that, 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 what does this mean? He says, they are not perfect before God. That's what he says. He says, I, I have not found thy works perfect before God means they're incomplete. They're getting out, but they're not getting through. 
Can I just tell you, ain't, we ought to give, we ought to give ourselves, we ought to give the man, the message, the money. We ought to give everything we give to please heaven, not to please man. Amen. And it's incomplete if you're just doing it to please man. Don't get too busy for God that you forget to please him. Don't get too busy for God that you're too busy for God. They're told to revive. They're told to to remember in verse 3. He says, remember therefore that thou hast received and heard. To remember. Remember, these people are told to remember where the Lord brought them from. They're told to remember what He has done for them. Uh, They're told to remember uh, the days when they served the Lord out of a glad heart, uh, out of a good heart, out of a gracious heart, uh, and, and, and how they wanted more than anything to do His will. They're told to do that. They're to remember what it was like to walk in the power of God while the fire of God fell upon this place. I'm telling you, friend, we need a revival. Amen. He used them for his glory in those days. He said, look back and remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. You've received it before you've heard it. God, let us remember what he did for us before and seek his will. Remember, revive. And then he tells them on a little farther, he says, and hold fast. We ought to resolve. Hold fast, hold fast. This church is told uh, to hold on to the things that are still alive in the midst of them. They're to resolve before the Lord that they will not allow these things to die that are still alive. Hold fast to them. Hold fast to the things that that we've seen and hold fast to what's still hanging on. Uh, We must do it, and friends, there's always a great danger uh, in focusing on our attention in one area or the other. Uh, There's always uh, some type of way, maybe we focus too much on missions uh, that we forget about evangelism, and maybe we focus too much on evangelism uh, that we forget about this and so on, and we must not revive one thing uh, while another thing's dying, uh, doing so leaves us in the same exact condition what we're looking for is a total makeover that makes it all over again we need revival and Jesus tells them on a little farther he says and repent we need to repent they're confronted concerning their sin doesn't tell us what sin exactly there is but the only thing that church has has before they die they need to repent only thing holding them back from dying. They need to repent. Remember, it's not God's fault. It's never going to be God's fault why our church gets the way it is. It's never going to be God's fault in the way the church gets today out there. It's never going to be God's fault the way Christians act. It's never going to be God's fault. But I'm telling you, repentance has to come before restoration and revival. Right? If you can't repent, you'll never have revival. If you can't repent, you'll never have restoration with God. You'll never do it, and we must turn back to doing things God's way. We turn from our sins and we turn towards God and laziness and complacency and apathy and sin, whatever it is. It must be turned from, friend. Must be turned from. I'm telling you what the Bible says this evening. I ain't saying it's just talking directly towards you, but I'm telling you what it is. He's talking to the church of Sardis, and there's always an applicable point that we can get out of it. And the Lord commands them to be watchful 
And he commands them uh, to go through and to be working. And then in verse number 3 at the end, he says, If therefore thou thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. He commands them to be waiting. Now this church is told that if they will not do the serious work of changing themselves, the Lord himself will come in their midst and he'll take away the things that remain alive and that church will be inevitably dead. Is that not context? It's exactly context. He's talking about the things which are alive to strengthen them and to go through and the things that are ready to die. He said, For I have not found the works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. So those ones that have been there and have heard and received, hold fast to those things which are still alive. Repent from what you're doing wrong. And if you do not watch, and if you do not do all those things, I'll come as you have a thief of the night. They shall not know what hour I'll come. I'm telling you, friend, the things that are alive, the church will be totally and fully dead because the Lord will pull out those things which are alive. Like a thief, he'll come in and he'll take what's best. Isn't that right? They'll not even know when he comes and where he goes or any of the the things. Now, that's a scary thought. Understand that, right? That's a scary thought. To think that God could come in and take out that thing which remains. Many churches are in that very condition today, friend. The call to repentance came from the Lord and they ignored it and He came to them in swift judgment and took out everything that they had that was alive. They function the same way as they always have functioned. They do the things the same way that they've always done it. They go through it. They have services. They have preaching. They have outreach ministries. They give demissions, but they're dead. They're ineffective. They're merely going through the motions every single day. There's no life in their midst, and Jesus just pulled the plug and pronounced them dead. That's some serious scripture right there, friend. And I tell you what, we want to avoid that. We want to avoid that completely. The appearance of Christ, the announcements of Christ. Lastly, we see the assurance from Christ. The Bible says there's four through five and six. The Lord gives assurance to those within the church here. Notice with me, the Lord gives assurance to two people, two sets of people. He gives assurance, the remnant is given assurance. Verse number 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk worthy with me in white, for they are worthy. Now as bad as things were in Sardis, there were some, those that were saved, uh, that were sealed, and that were seeking to serve the Lord. Amen. They were in it, and they were ready to do all of the things that they needed to do uh, to walk with the Lord. And they're given a promise uh, from the Lord, assurance from the Lord. Uh, they have lived out the truth uh, in this world, and they can be confident uh, that they will uh, share His glory uh, in that world. And white clothing, uh, white clothing was a sign of purity. Uh, it was a symbol of victory, uh, of things that have overcome. Uh, and that, that is a great assurance to the faithful members of the church of Sardis. 
Jesus tells them, I understand what is going on here. Stay faithful. I see you. And I'm telling you this evening, that is the truth for all. If you'll stay faithful and be a light in the darkness, the Lord sees you. Amen. Amen. The Lord sees you, and that's the truth. And so there's a remnant that's given assurance. There is the repenting that's given assurance. In verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Now I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels. Does that verse make sense to anybody upon appearance? There must be a little study done there. Jesus tells the rest that if they will repent and they'll turn from their wicked ways and turn to him, they will receive the same assurance. He tells them very clearly here, he says the same, the same, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. The same, they will be made pure, they'll be made victorious all through him. Okay? Now this white raiment stuff, it's going to make much more sense later on when we get over in the latter chapters of Scripture, okay? And so, and then he says, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, well, they'll they'll be made secure in the relationship in which they carry with him. And by the way, the God, God is not saying that he'll blot out names. This verse is often used by people who try to say that Christians can lose their salvation. This verse is used from that because he's going to blot out their names out of the book of life. Now, we must understand uh, something. It's not saying you can lose what you got. But it's offering a um, type of assurance, a type of a promise of absolute security those who believe in Jesus. And so think about this. Think about this. There, now you know, you know there's going to be more than one book, right? So there's the book of life. Then there's the Lamb's book of life. Now understand the difference here. The Lamb's book of life. Let's, let's, let's back up. The book of life are those who were born of water. The Lamb's book of life is those who are born of the Spirit. I didn't say it in my notes. But that's the difference here. And so Jesus is saying here, He's already told them a little farther up uh, that I will come in and I will destroy everything that is. Uh, and so there'll be some that will be lost uh, in that church uh, and those who will die will be blotted out if they do not repent because they'll die from this earth and they'll be taken out of the book of life. Now the book of life has every man's name in it. And when Jesus... This is good, okay? When Jesus comes at the great white throne of judgment, and the Bible says He'll open up the books. Is that not plurality? According to Scripture, it's plural. He will open up the books there... And those books that he is opening uh, there uh, will line up one by one with one another. Okay? He'll open up the book of life and he'll open up the Lamb's book of life. And when he opens up the book of life, it will show everybody who did not die from this earth. So meaning 
everybody that's saved, right? It will show, every, and, and they'll blot out, he'll blot out every man, every woman, every child, whatever that was saved, not, not saved, he'll blot their names out of the book of life. Every person who has been saved, their name will be written down in the Lamb's book of life. And so when the Lord opens up those books, the book of life and the Lamb's book of life, every name that's in the book of life will, have, will be in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, Jesus is an orderly Jesus, amen? He's an orderly God, and He has everything that there is. And, he, and so, 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 just practical sense, remember this. The book of life contains the living. Exodus 32, verse 32 tells us that. It contains the living. The Lamb's book of life contains the redeemed. Simple. Very simple. Let me see. I think it's the book of Luke. Chapter number 10, verse number 20. The Bible says, Notwithstanding of this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in that. It's something you can rejoice in, that your name is written in heaven. Uh, Hallelujah, friend. Therefore, I believe when a person dies lost, their name will be taken out of the book of life. uh, So both books will match at the end of time. Uh, And Jesus says there very clearly, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Uh, They've repented, meaning if... If they do repent, he will not blot their name out. And this is what he has to say. But I will confess them his name before my father and before his angels. Someday Jesus will usher in the redeemed saints of God. And when they come in through and they're ushered into the presence of the host of heaven, he'll practically look over to them and he'll simply say, This one is mine. He was not ashamed of me. And I will not be ashamed of him uh, in front of the Father. Uh, You see what he's saying there. Uh, He said if you'll repent, uh, if you'll turn from your sins, uh, if you'll turn from your ways, uh, he's given them an act of mercy. uh, And he said if you'll do that, uh, I will confess your name uh, before the Father and before his angels as mine. Sample hallelujah. Thank God for the Word of God. Vance Havner once commented uh, that ministries often begin with a man who had a vision. That's true. This vision captured by others becomes a movement. And as the movement gains followers and momentum, uh, it becomes a machine. That's what Vance Havner has to say. He said, and after a while, before people forget all about the vision and was once a Movement because nothing more than a monument to a man and a glorious pastor. That's what he said. And I'm telling you, friend, it's true. And when the Lord looks at this church and at you, I hope he sees something that's alive. Alive and well. And I'm thankful that when Jesus comes at the rapture, there will be a raising 
uh, of those who are alive. Dennis Lyle, he said, typically, tragically, excuse me, many churches are dead. Like the rotting carcass of Lazarus, these church bodies have the foul stench of death upon them. They have appearance of life, but they are actually dead. Their sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. They're a congregation of corpse. They have undertakers for ushers, embalmers for elders, morticians for ministers. Their pastor graduated from the cemetery. The choir master is the local coroner. They sing embalmed in Gilead. At the rapture, they will be the first churches taken, for the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's a lot of churches out there dead. Dead. I mean, it's not about the shout. It's not about how much you run. It's none of that. But there's a lot of churches that are dead as 2 o'clock in the morning, friend. And I'm telling you right now, it is so important to keep our church alive. Because this church was about this close from being dead a few years ago. It's the truth. It's the truth. And man, I'm telling you how important it is to go on for God. How important it is that when the Lord puts his finger on the heartbeat of our church, he said, man, that church is alive. That church is alive. That church is going. And I pray that this has helped you tonight. Because the church of Sardis here, they were 100%. They were socially in check. They were socially driven. But man, they were spiritually dead. Lord, help us never to get to that point where everybody knows us. But inside, looks like a morgue. Help us never get there. Ladies, help us help you never get there. Men, help you never get there. We need some ladies that are shout and praise the Lord too. We need some men that are shout and praise the Lord. We need some women that are do it, pray, pray, pray. We need some men that are teach, that are, that are preach, that are do all those things. We need men of God and women that will strap straight up. I'm telling you, to change a nation, to change a nation, and it's important. It's important to uh, keep our focus on this. Don't ever be spiritually dri- socially driven and spiritually dead. Thank you for listening tonight. You can stand to your feet, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God, for this message. It was a little different the way things went. Lord, we're grateful for it. We pray, God, you'd help us this evening, Lord, to never, to, Lord, strengthen the things which remain. Lord, we stay focused on that and, Preach the Bible in context and how you broke it out to us. Lord, help us to always stay focused on you, Lord. Stay spiritually driven, spiritually charged, Lord, with the um, gospel. Lord, help us, God, to preach the word of God straight and true. Lord, help us in every way, Lord, to never become dead on the things of God, but, Lord, to stay fully alive to the things of God. We love you so much. Jesus, precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.